off and we've started for the first time if you've never heard us before and if you have heard us before it's more of the same but except this time business as usual except for this time we're not where we were we've just climbed the rope ladder and we're recording from our clubhouse which is a treehouse yes and we've we've climbed a rope ladder to get into the treehouse where we have ourselves and a robot helper. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> my, na- my name is Nick Helm and this is... Nathaniel Metcalf. And we are the John Jack. Carpenter Appreciations. Oh, no, should we just say the JCAS? I think that's cooler. Yeah. Yeah, Jack. with the JCAS. JCAS. And every week we're going to meet in the... JCAS Clubhouse, yeah. which is a, it's a wooden tree house that's up a tree. Yeah, imagine. And imagine imagine having to climb up a rope. What is it a rope ladder or is it a rope with knots in it? I think it's a rope. I'm picturing a rope ladder. No, I don't have to picture it. I can look at it. I'm looking at a rope ladder. Yeah, right? I think it's a rope with knots in it. So that's how we'll do it. Yeah, it's a rope with knots. Well, you can climb up a rope with knots in it. I'm going to climb up... A rope ladder. Well, we've got our, we've got individual, we've got individual, and uh, this, this falling well, apart very quickly. It is because we've got to tell everyone listening what the name of the podcast yes, is. Yes, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> we're getting. See, so yes, thanks, Natalie. What we're trying to do is just be patient. It'll all become clear. I've come up my rope with knots on it, and 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 actually, it's got a bit of a, a tree trunk at the bottom that you can use to swing on. And Nathaniel's okay. got a rope ladder, right. um, and we've climbed up our respective rope stairwell devices. Yes, and now we've we're both in the clubhouse to do our brand new podcast, Consuming a Bay. Yes, yeah, there you go. It's the, okay, or we could just say from now on, my name's Nick Helm. This is Nathaniel Metcalf, and welcome to the JCAS Consuming a Bay podcast. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. I mean, rolls off the tongue. We knew, we knew. We haven't recorded together in a year, and we haven't been in the same room as each other recording in fifteen years. 15 this is years. the first time we've ever been Since in the same 20, room. Since tw- no, twenty, that was twenty twenty, wasn't it? Twenty twenty. It was the it? beginning of twenty twenty. It was, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. Anyway, go on. What well, if you? If you March, March. It was. If you're gonna, if you're going to sit there and whisper, Natalie, can you whisper loud enough for me to be able to hear? Oh. March. Brilliant. There we go. Great. Thank you very much. Right. And we're off. So this is going to be a whole brand new. Uh, we, we used to we used to do a show called Fan Club. It was uh, somewhere else. But this is a whole new. If you were a fan of Fan Club, by all means, you're welcome. But this is brand new. It's not right? going to be anything not, like not it. going to be anything like the last podcast. OK, so just so you got that in your head, just get over it. Right. That was the old podcast. This is the new podcast. It's going to be brand new. Okay, so now, what have you been a fan of this week? Wow, this week, uh, I've seen a couple of things. I've seen a big thing we'll talk about in a minute. Oh, we should probably talk about, like, how are you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right, yeah. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. What, has anything non-film related happened to you this week? No. No, very little <laughs> happens to me. Has anything interesting happened? God, no. No. Nothing. Nothing remotely. to say. No. no. That's that's cool. I mean, it doesn't have to. I don't want you to feel like you have to come up with something. Just like it's there if... No, you thrown me because I was like, I only think about film-related things yes. to talk about. Yeah, I mean, to be honest... Have I'll, you done anything this week? Have I done anything this week? I'm just getting ready for fucking Edinburgh. 
Of course you are, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you seem I, confident. I'm, I'm not confident. Well, I am confident. I mean, I, we all know Edinburgh is absolutely beneath me. <laughs> At this point, at this point in my life, I don't need to go up to the Edinburgh Festival. I've, I, okay, so the Edinburgh Festival is 75 years this year. Is it? Right? 75 years old this year. I did my first Edinburgh Festival. What's the year today? It's 2022 today. Yes. And I did my first Edinburgh Festival in 1997, which I think was 25 years ago. Yeah. So did I do the fiftieth fucking Edinburgh Festival? Yeah. For my first Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> yeah, you did, yeah. I did the fiftieth and now it's the seventy fifth. I mean <laughs> like that is chilling. You didn't even know it was a fiftieth. That's probably you could say that's why you've come back. Oh, I've got the mug from that year. My mum has bought a mug every time from the fringe shop. She's bought a mug every every time I've done the Edinburgh Festival, so that she's got loads of mugs. Because I think I've only not done three <laughs> in those. And sometimes she liked more than one mug, not just the official one, but the secondary one. So uh, she's stocked up on mugs. They're wasted on her as well because she's got like asbestos hands, you know. So she doesn't even need a mug to drink hot water. <laughs> she just like just. Put her hand directly in the kettle and splash it up to her mouth. <laughs> but she's tea got bag asbestos hands. Has she got asbestos mouth? No, she hasn't got asbestos. So she will still burn. So she'll burn her mouth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But that, but she'd do the same thing with a mug. It's true. Yeah. The yeah. amount of times I've seen her with seventeen mugs and, and a saying, blistered mouth and a blistered mouth. What's happened to the other five mugs there that, that you got? Which would bring it up to twenty-two mugs, which means that. Those were the three years that I wasn't there. I've no idea um, how she does it. But I think I've got... So it was either the 49th year, the 50th year, or the 51st year that I did my first... Yeah, that is terrifying. And when I say that, it was a little play that I wrote called William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. That's what I did. That's what I did the first year. Everyone says, did you write it? And it's just like, no, I was 16. I didn't write an Edinburgh show. So I did my first Edinburgh in 2007... And I only went up to do So You Think You're Funny, which is a like a comedy competition. It was only there for like a few days. Were we the same year? 2007? No, I did 2006 maybe. maybe. No, I did 2007. I was So You Think You're Funny 2007. There you go. Were you a finalist? I was a semi-finalist. Yeah, I was a semi Oh, was I a finalist? I, I was did it so whatever the one was where you do it in Edinburgh. Yeah. I got that far. Well, you did... Okay, so the way it worked was you had to be going less than six months. Yeah, that's what I was told at the time. You had to be going less than six months. So I was told, you can't possibly do it next year, but I'd only done about four gigs at that point. So so comedians are brand new. They don't know anything about the industry. No. I think I did a bunch of competitions when I just started just because they were gigs. Yeah, yeah. Not even to enter a competition, just to get a gig. And that would have been 2007. If you got through the first round, you were in the final and you yeah. were up in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Who judged you? God, that's a good question. I was probably so green, I can't even remember now. We had Marcus Brigstock judge us. Did you? Yeah. Did he judge you harshly or well? He was fine. He thought the guy that won wasn't very good. Okay. I just remember. Like, for us, it was the biggest day of our lives. Yeah. And for him, he was now, he was now stuck... <laughs> Stuck in like uh, the library bar in the Gilded Balloon <laughs> with uh, you know, a bunch of com- new comedians that didn't have any material other than... And that's what he said. He said, yeah, I mean, he'll be all right. 
you know, one day, once he's moved out of his parents' house and stops watching daytime TV, you know, that was like his critique of the guy that won. And you go, I, I never, I don't know if I've ever heard of him again. I remember people, there was people there, there's a couple of people who would carry on and see, but there was loads of people there in the round I was who I'm pretty sure I've never seen again. And I remember them all like, some of them were crushed when they didn't go through. Like they just acted like this was the end of everything. Yeah. Whereas I'd done four gigs and I remember I got there and Hannah George was there. She was on as well. And she, by that time, I think had been going a little while, but probably six months longer or something. Yeah. No, because we did our... Me and Hannah George did a Edinburgh show together the next year, I think in 2008. That makes sense then, yeah. yeah. And then I remember Dave Gibson was there, and he, at that point, had said, I've only done 10 gigs, and everyone was going, what? What? And I realised in my head I'd done, like, four. So I just kept quiet. I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone how many I've done. Why? Is ten, was 10 considered too little or too yeah, many? Yeah, too little. It was crazy that, that he was there. Right. But also, I no one I, else. The following year was everyone else that I started with, did I it? think I went through on my third gig or something like that. On my, It was like really early. Yeah, me too. But, but, but I was doing Edinburgh anyway. I was doing a show with Gronya Maguire and Sarah Campbell in 2007 for the Free Fringe. And so I was up there anyway. And I was doing a play as well at the Bedlam. <laughs> it wasn't a play, it was a collection of poems. But I did that at the Bedlam and songs. That was called A Third of the Way Done. So that's 2007, yeah. And then, so I was up there anyway, so I didn't have to come to Edinburgh to do it. But by the time I got there then, in 2007, you were already like a veteran of the French. I'd been doing it 10 years by that point. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I wrote my first show in 2001. Anyway, long story short, why the fuck am I doing Edinburgh again? i tell you why. It's because my girlfriend has rented some accommodation and she needed help to, to cover the cost, right? <laughs> She's like, I can't afford this flat all by myself because accommodation in Edinburgh is absolutely <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Apparently it's like 10 grand for a month to rent a place, right? <laughs> this is what my promoter was saying. He was like saying, God, it costs 10 grand. And I said, oh, that's really expensive. He goes, for a four-bedroom house and you go sure so so it's two and a half grand per room and he's like yeah but you only get a room you don't get like the whole flat you know we get the whole flat and a room and then he was like yeah but it's a lot of money and I said well sure but he goes how are the audience members going to afford it I said well the audience members aren't going to get a four bedroom house for a month they're going to have three nights at the premiere inn and he goes sure well maybe that was a cheaper option and I said yeah but if you break it down two and a half grand that's six hundred Pounds a week. That's less than hundred pounds a night. That's not that bad. If you stay anywhere for a month, it's fucking expensive. It's true. Anyway, my girlfriend, she can't afford to. She she said she couldn't afford it. So I said, oh well, what? Do I, I said now I'm doing Edinburgh. But it's only occurred to me after I filled in all the forms, done the posters, got everything. <laughs> could have just given her the fucking money, or I could go up for a month. I could just go up for a month on holiday. Yeah. And just and and you know, so I've done this badly. But I am getting ready for a tour. So there you go. Fine. <laughs> but I'm just doing Edinburgh stuff. I'm fucking hell. So it. you're like Arthur Smith or one of those people that does Edinburgh every exa- year. You're like Mervyn Strutter. I'm like that, yeah. Is it Mervyn Stutter? Stutter. Mervyn Stutter. Uh, yeah, that's quite, yeah. Uh, or Mervyn You're like Strutter. Nicholas Parsons. I'm like or, uh... Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like Mervyn Stutter. My sister and my mum 
go and see Mervyn Stutter <laughs> every year. To see what's good. Yeah. And it's like, uh, they, 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 <laughs> they see him every single year and then they book like a week of shows. Off the back of what Off the back of what oh, I guess that works then, doesn't it? It does. Because uh, what Mervyn Stutter does is he does sort of like a, a best, best of the of. fest sort of like showcase thing that everyone goes to see. And uh, if you know nothing about comedy, if you've never been to Edinburgh Festival before, if you're completely new to it all, then go and see Mervyn Stutter and it gives you a good idea of what's up there. What my mum and my sister are overlooking is that I am a <laughs> multi-award winning comedian that's done Edinburgh for 25, 25 years. Yeah. And presumably um, they've been coming for 25 years. Yeah. They? So and they I, probably have a good idea. And what's... I know every single comedian that's up there and they could just ask me. I think the thing about Mervyn is he doesn't shout. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't shout and spit. I've seen him in the courtyard once. Oh, yeah. And he looked like he'd had a pretty tough showcase. So I didn't approach him. But also, that show is just something people's PRs and things campaign to get on, right? Campaign to get on? Like they sort of put people on. Isn't it the sort of thing that you get like a text at 11 in the morning saying, Oh, we've had a dropout. Can you do? <laughs> can you do the showcase this lunch? Like I don't lunchtime, think it necessarily is about like necessarily the best. No, me either. I don't think it's even necessarily like this is definitely the best stuff that's on. It's not. It's not the best of the fest. It's the best of what we could book today. Yeah. That's what that's what all of those things are. <laughs> but it's fine. But it's just ask me, Mum. I can't believe I've had to use the medium of a podcast in order to communicate with you. But just, Mum, just ask me. My mum and dad, when they used to go, they used to just go to anything that they got flyered for because, like, they'd feel bad. And they'd be like, that's the worst. They'd be like, oh, we didn't. And they'd go, why did you see that? And it, it's always something that you, you can tell. Well, you wouldn't like that, would you? No, we didn't. Because you would know, because you've got a flyer for something that you definitely wouldn't like. Sure. So it's like the flyers are there to tell you, like, do you like that kind of stuff? And you, if you read it and you go, no. But just because someone's given it to you doesn't mean you have to go. No. But also it's sort of, it, it's difficult to tell what you're walking into off of the back of a flyer sometimes. But I don't know, my mum my tends to not like shows for unusual reasons. I think one year she said, oh, what's good? And I recommended that my mum and dad go and see Ellis James. And I thought, you'll like that. He's funny, but I think you'll like it. And it's not going to be anything you'll like. It's not going to be too much for you. Yeah. And it's really nice stories, but he's really funny. And he's a really good act and you'll like it. And she went, all right, I'll write that down. And then when I came back, I remember him saying, so what did you see? He said, oh, he saw um, someone doing... Barbara Streisand covers. And I went, what? I said, I said, yeah, I don't even know you like Barbara Streisand. He goes, no, you don't really. But you got a fly head for it. And he goes, don't go. You shouldn't go. Oh, but that's kind of like, the, there is that option, isn't there? Like, it's so overwhelming and you're so bombarded yeah. by so many people that it's literally just sort of like, I'm going to make my decision based on who flies me in the next five minutes. Yeah, and it would be that, wouldn't it? It'd be like, oh, where's, when's this on? Oh, it's in there in five minutes. We go, oh, okay. Yeah, you've got I, enough time to buy a ticket. All right, I'll I'll buy a ticket then. Yeah, I tend to think that that is kind of a much better way of kind of like doing anything these days. It's just whatever the first thing that comes. Yeah, because it's just yeah. I'm talking specifically about streaming now. Because <laughs> 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 you know, so that's what we've been up to. Fine. Normally we'd do fan mail now, mm -hmm. wouldn't we? But we haven't got any fan mail because this is our first episode. So if you want to write into us, 
You can write into us at Nick and A N D. Nick and Nats, J C A S at gmail.com. And you can send in any suggestions for anything we should be watching. You just be uh, checking in to see if we're all right. You could be asking us to fuck off, maybe. Or you could be asking if you can gain exclusive access to the J C A S fan club clubhouse. But of course, you can't because it's only big enough for me and Nats and no one else is allowed to join. And Natalie, sure. Natalie, and sure. Natalie, yes. We're not sure whether Natalie's a real person yet or a robot. Uh, no, she's a real person. She's in the- oh, no, or a robot. Yeah. Yeah, well, too bloody right. <laughs> she can be doing some fact-checking. Yeah, of course, of course, the clubhouse is big enough for everyone that wants to join. Give out the email. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the email again is Nick and Nat at... No, Nick Ednat, JCAS <laughs> at Gmail. It's a difficult fucking, it's a complicated, it's a complicated old email. Nick Ednat. It's every single letter. I don't think it's an S, Nick. is it? Nick and Nat. So as if you're writing the word Nick and Nat. I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to. Nick uh, and Nat. Not ampersand. Nick and Nat, JCAS. I'm going to spell it out for you, actually. It's N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T-J-C-A-S at. At sign gmail.com yes. is it gmail.com what if they write googlemail.com I don't think it'll work um, really not Google? give it a go yeah, see what happens give it a go and that'll do be do it both cc in that google mail do gmail that's n-i-c-k a-n-d-n-a-t j-c-a-s at at sign g-m-a-i L.com. Or alternatively, I guess, just comment on an Instagram post and we'll probably find that as well. Probably, yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Oh, yeah, because it's on Instagram as well, isn't probably it? Probably easier. Probably easier. Yeah. We're on. Probably easier. But then um, if you if you want to go old school and email it in, mm-hmm. that email again is N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T-J-C-A-S at G-M-A-I-L dot full stop. C-O-M. And how do you spell it? Is, if it, is it .com or .co.uk? .com. Oh, right, great. Thank, and if it's, thank God for that. How do you spell Google Mail? Google Mail is G-O-O-G-L-E-M-A-I-L. Yeah. .com. 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 C-O-M. Uh, great, that's the hard stuff done. We're about baby! Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's got me. I'm so excited about doing this. Oh, uh, great. Okay, so what have you been? Uh, what have you been fed <laughs> off this week, Nathan? So, uh, what have you been? What What have you been consuming? <laughs> Consumption. Welcome to Consuming a Bay. Basically, every week we'll be consuming popular culture, and we'll be doing what you tell us to do. So, if you send in any suggestions to Nick nick and that at gmail.com nick and that jcas at gmail.com if you send any suggestions in we'll try and do what you tell us to do and i mean within reason it'll be like someone will say can you watch the fast and the furious franchise well that's nine films no <laughs> but i will maybe and also don't say just watch one of them because that'd be mad that'd be madness that. right i'm not just gonna watch Tokyo Drift or something. The, the thought of watching all of the Fast and the Furious, I've never seen a single one of them. The thought of watching all of them, including the Hobson Shaw spin off, that's 10 films. But if somebody said, watch all the Police Academy movies, I'd do it in a day. I would do it in one sitting. And no one would ask you, either. And no one would ask me. No one asked me during lockdown. And, and the thing that I found, I watched them all in lockdown, which is within the last two years, watched them all in lockdown. 
and I watched every single one of them and I enjoyed them very much. Not all of them, but I appreciated watching them on on that level, you know, in context of the year that they were made. Uh, some of the stuff is not aged, incredibly great, but, you know, you can... Blah, blah, blah. I am finding that I'm remembering less and less about the Police Academy movies, and I'm going to have to rewatch them <laughs> at some point. Like, two years ago wasn't recent enough. I'm going to have to do a refresher course. That's my bungled-up life, guys. Didn't want to bring you all down. Keep it light. And, Nathaniel, what have you been watching? Well, I think what, have been, might what, have... what have you been consuming this, this week? week? Thank you, uh, JC3000. Yes, it's good. It's work. It's good. Work. It's just, We've already got new characters. It's doing itself. I think it might have been a project I even started when we were doing our last podcast, where I started, because I always say that I'm not a massive fan of the James Bond films, and I never know which one's which. I was watching them one by one as an occasional season to sort of go, oh, that's that one. That's that one. And now I'd stopped as well. Stopped with Man with the Golden Gun. Right. So I went, that'll do. I don't need to go any further than that. And then kind of out of just sort of... I'd hear people talking about the next one, which is The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm. And people always talk... I've heard people talk about it like, yeah, that's one of the best ones. And I was going, is it? I don't think of it as being a good one. It, yeah. But I hear people going, that's a classic one. And I think Roger Moore had said that that's his favourite. And I was going, is it? Is that a good one? And I watched it. It's all right. Is that the one with the Union Jack parachute? Union Jack parachute. And it's car goes underwater. Is there a bit when he's spending an awful fucking long time, like a huge chunk of the film is devoted to him being at the bottom of a ski slope by a chalet chatting to a woman? That does happen, but it's not... It's a not, huge part of the yeah. film. I just remember, maybe every time I switch it on, it's that scene. Right. And I just remember it just like going, I'm not watching this. It's like, you know, it's a thing where it's only like one scene and it's a scene that's like just there for a double entendre and I can't remember what it was. Oh, really? Or maybe I'm getting it confused with the identical scene from the Beatles movie Help <laughs> where they go to the Netherlands, do they? And they're, they're skiing yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I would say The Man with the Golden Gun is not just my favourite Bond film, but one of my favourite films. And I found out the other day that in the movie he only kills one person and everyone hates The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. I haven't seen it recently... But everyone hates the man with the golden gun, and I can't get it around my head because I think it's brilliant. That's what in my head, all the ones I liked from when I was a kid are all the ones that are sort of still good. It's and Man with the Golden Gun was always one I really liked. It's got Christopher Lee, it's got Lulu doing the theme tune, yeah. and it's got a great theme tune. Yeah. Roger Moore's great. It's got Nick Knack in it. It's got Britt Eklund in it. Yeah. It's got the mirror sequence at the end. Yeah. It's got the sumo wrestlers and it's got all of the statues that turn into real people. Yeah. Spy Who Loved Me is the next one, but it was made three years later. And it is much more like sort of disco era Bond, it feels like. Well, it's that kind of... Whereas the ones before that are still a bit like... Live and Let Die is like exploitation. Yeah. So they're a bit more gritty still. So Sean Connery did his lot. George Lazenby came in for one. They got Sean Connery back for Diamonds Are Forever, which yeah. was the beginning of the 70s. You were. Might be, yeah, might be 70s. Or, or maybe it was 69. Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever. And then the first Roger Moore one was Live and Let Die, and they obviously got... 71 71 Diamonds Are Forever. So they got an ex-Beatle 
who's only been out of the Beatles for like three years. About at that point, a year, I guess. No, but that would be Time is a Forever 71. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Live and Let Die would be 73? Oh, 73, I guess, yeah. 73, maybe? I'm always right, except I'm one year out. 73. 73. Roger Moore did Live and Let Die. Paul McCartney had just been out of the Beatles, so they got him to do... And it was like they were going, like, we're going to do a new thing. And, yeah, it was the height of grindhouse cinema and black exploitation and so james bond was like we'll do that and then for the next one they did the man with the golden gun and i guess that came out in 1974 yeah four so it'd be like one year later so one year later i know i know that alice cooper did an audition for the song for it the song for it and that exists that exists they put it on the album they put it on it's on muscle of love which was the album that broke up the band and then after that alice cooper went solo if you listen to all, like, all of their original, like their first four or five albums, they've all got kind of like James Bond influences in because they all love James Bond. Okay. Yes, they did sort of like their own version of the song. It's not very good. But it's, I, I remember hearing it's, it, it's, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It needs kind of like a John Barry to kind of produce <laughs> it for them. I can't remember who produced that album. I don't think it was Bob Ezrin. And that's, but yeah, I remember that was always one of the ones as I was a kid. It's really memorable, all of Man with a Golden Gun. It's not as bitty as a lot of them are, where there's like bits where it's like, which one are they skiing? Which one are they it's, on a cable car? The worst which thing, one are they? The worst thing about the Man with the Golden Gun is that they ruin that incredible stunt with a slide whistle sound effect, right? <laughs> when the, when the <laughs> yes, car yeah. does, does an entire <laughs> flip going over the bridge and it lands on the other side, it's an incredible yeah. stunt. And then they do it with a... Yeah, it's almost done like it's played for a laugh. When you see it, you go, oh, it's amazing. Watch it without the sound, it's incredible. And then they (laughs) absolutely, completely undermine it. But apart from that, I love it. So are you saying that after that, you watched all the others? No, no, so that's where I left it, Man with the Golden Gun, and I was a bit like, I can stop there. And then I was just intrigued to go, should I go one more and see what Spy Love Me is like? Because everyone says how good it is. And I watched it. It's nowhere near as good as Man with the Golden Gun. But even when you read all the stuff about it, it's like everyone's going, and finally, after the Man with the Golden Gun, they did a proper one. And you go, well, it's nothing like any of the others. It's where Roger Moore really leans into like what you think of as like Roger Moore, James Bonds. So like everything's a double entendre. Everything's like just gags. and So it's got lots more humour in it. Jaws is in it. Yeah, That's yeah. the first one with him. Although in the first one, he's more... He is a killer. Jaws is in... Spy Love Me. Spy Love Me. He's more of a killer and he's sort of unstoppable. He's almost like Michael Myers or something. Yeah. Because they keep, like, drop a house on him and he just walks away. I mean, they're all... I mean, I don't... I, it's all shit, isn't it? It was, it was all right. It was fine. What I like about The Man With The Golden Gun is if they've changed the story a little bit. Yeah. And so it's not, like, the same plot. And also it feels like Christopher Lee and Roger Moore are real good matches for each yeah. other. Like Christopher Lee brings so much baggage with him and he's got so much gravitas to him that you go, oh yeah, but he's also like a gentleman guy who's kind of like meeting Roger Moore slash James Bond on his own level. Whereas a lot of the other people that played bad guys were kind of like stars of the day. I think you have that thing where they talk about him as having a licence to kill. And what they forget is, what that means is, he's just a, an assassin who works for the government. So they send on these missions, they're going, kill Goldfinger, kill whoever the villain is. And that's his task, really. And you sort of forget that because it all becomes a bit silly and a bit kind of, 
there's that kind of it's it's all ages so you don't really have to think of him like he's basically an assassin he's just out to kill people but in that one it's like you're our best assassin and you need to kill the other best assassin yeah and you go right yeah that's a good great it's fine it's like um diversion yeah it's just it's just different i just think james bond is yeah it's just it they they are kind of what you think they are or what i always struggle with them i like the idea of james bond and i often i say it's a lot i like films that are like james bond ripoffs i kind of like a lot of that stuff more and stuff that feel like they're a bit like films that are a bit like them but the actual james bonds i'm often a bit like they leave me a bit cold they were fine in that era when they were coming on tv for the first time and they're on at Christmas, and they're like carry-on movies, basically. Yeah. I wouldn't sit down and watch one from the, the beginning, but if I walk through a room and there's something that's on TV, I'll watch it until I work out which film it is, and then I'll walk out. And I can totally see how much of a like, massive influence they were on that generation of filmmakers that came after. But I kind of don't need them to make yeah. any more anymore. No. How many have they made? What, all together? Yeah. What is it now, about 26, 27, aren't they? I mean, because say what you will about Police Academy. <laughs> they went out on a high and they said, we're not making any more after the seventh one. Yeah, week. well, they did their one with Chris Philly and we the went, well, let's to Moscow, stop there. Yeah. And they said, we're not going to make any more. So well, that's what they should have done with the buns. Absolutely. They should have done Marigold and Gun and Gun, let's check out. Let's check out. Yeah, absolutely. That email again is N-I-C-K-A-N-T-N-A-T-J-C-A-S at, that's the at sign, gmail.com. What have I been a fan of this week? Yes, please. Or what have I been uh, consuming this week? Yeah. i tell you what, I've just finished... I just finished the Obi-Wan series. Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Oh, I have. Ooh. I forgot I'd seen that. Yeah. Because... <laughs> because... <laughs> it's quite forgettable. It is quite forgettable. I think what I like about it, what I have liked about it, is that it has sort of put everything into a context for me. Right? For a start, when they... Because they were releasing it... What's weird is that people have forgotten how to watch things episodically because everyone binges everything now. Mm -hmm. So with Disney, they release an episode a week and you kind of watch it. And I like that about it, that every Wednesday, you know, there's a new episode out. Not necessarily that. I think it was only Murders in the Building that I started watching like that and Dope Sick as well. So if you've got Disney Channel for Star Wars and you don't know what else to watch, Dope Sick's really good. Really fucking bleak and depressing, but it was really good. And that came out once a week. That's got Michael Keaton in it. And the other one was uh, Only Murders in the Building, which was all right, but I reckon they'll... they'll I liked it a lot more than you did, I think. I, think I really enjoyed it. I think they'll fix a lot of, like... I feel like it was written as a farcical madcap comedy, yeah. and then it was directed to be like a drama. You can still see evidence in the script that it's meant to be funnier than it is, but everything is sort of, like, underplayed a bit. I'll and say I think, this about it. It feels, and as someone who really enjoyed it, it feels really middle-aged, but that's quite refreshing. I felt like it was perfect. It's almost like Last of the Summer Wine. It's yeah. like perfect Sunday night viewing where nothing's stressful. You can watch that and then you can go to sleep and then you've got work the next day and there's no nightmares or anything like that. I can't fucking stand Sundays. And so <laughs> it was like perfect Sunday night viewing. And I felt Dope Sick was like good like Saturday evening viewing. People have forgotten how to watch episodic TV. So with Obi-Wan Kenobi... All of like the fanboys online and everything is they were like tearing it to pieces week by week. And I've just finished the last episode and they answer pretty much ninety percent of all of the problems that all of them had with everything. And she's like, Yeah, comment on it at the end, sure. But watch the whole thing. There's no goodwill for a lot of stuff these days. And it's kinda of like just let them tell the story. 
odd to me that this was like a Disney Plus series where it feels like surely this is a more sellable idea as a film yeah, but than that, what you would do but, as a film. But Hollywood's like that, isn't it? It's like Solo didn't make any money. And rather mm. than think because that production was a fucking nightmare and the film came out sort of all right and it was coming off the back of The Last Jedi, rather than kind of going, that's why it didn't do so well, they just went, oh, no one wants these. And I think if they'd have made an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie instead of a Han Solo movie, that would it would have done fine. I like the fact that there seems to be like a trend at the moment where everyone's getting second chances. So like Sam Raimi's director's Doctor Strange and he's back in the Marvel Universe after Spider-Man 3. He had a Spider-Man 4 planned and then they decided to move on with Andrew Garfield instead because Sam Raimi stepped away because he said he didn't have enough time to sort out Spider-Man 4, which meant that Tobey Maguire didn't get a send-off, which meant that, you know, there was all this, what might have been, unfinished business. Yeah, loose ends. There were all these loose ends for the fans to deal with. And then Andrew Garfield came along. He made two average Spider-Man films. One of them is hated. But people liked him as Spider-Man. So, like, he hasn't got... So, with Spider-Man No Way Home, you gave Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield the send-off that they perhaps deserved... And then with Multiverse of Madness, Sam Raimi's back in the Marvel Universe and and he'll do another thing with them, surely. And with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, it's like, it's what's weird is, you know, oh, this is what Ewan McGregor can do with the character when he's not being directed by George Lucas. I love George Lucas, I think he's brilliant, but he wasn't into the acting. And it also gives kind of like Hayden Christensen a, a chance to sort of like put the character to bed or to like continue it. I don't know, I thought the series it looked cheap but it didn't look as cheap as the boba fett series which i only watched an episode and a half of and then i just thought was the biggest pile of shit so i never went back to it i preferred boba fett i think to obi-wan kenobi i think obi-wan kenobi is really hit and miss like in a way i think it would have worked a lot better as a movie because it really drags the padding was just like you've got not enough plot to fill all this yeah and also thing about it was that the ending really got me but it just took six episodes to get to it i think it's it kind of like needed to be shorter and have more money put into it i didn't really like it i felt like it fits uneasily with the others now i find it like it doesn't really sit well everything's a bit more like it relies now on lots of coincidences and it all just feels a bit like sure it's acceptable but it's just like barely acceptable I liked it overall, but I tell you what it's done is I've changed gear with how I think about all of that Star Wars stuff. Whereas there's three films and then everything else is just like a bit of extra fun. Caravan of Courage. Caravan of Courage is, retrospectively, great. When you go back and watch it... I loved it when I was a kid. They've made I thought it was one of them. I think it's great. I think it's... <laughs> I think it, I thought the kid was Luke Skywalker because he was deliberately put in, like, the same... He was put in, like, an orange jumpsuit and then he looks a bit like Mark Hamill. I've re-watched Caravan of Courage recently and I've got, like, this niece now and I'm thinking about what can we... How can I introduce her into Star Wars and stuff like that? And Caravan of Courage is basically... It's like Lord of the Rings with Ewoks. It's a, re- it's a kid's film. It's more of a kid's film than the original Star Wars films. But it's like, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Battle for Endor is a sack of shit that should be destroyed. <laughs> right, that, I think I only saw that once. But Caravan of Courage was all right. That's on Disney. Anyway, um, Would you I, want to do a one-word review for Obi-Wan Kenobi? Fine. Slow. Okay, 
I, th- I didn't think it was slow. I mean, it wasn't long enough for it to be slow, I think. It was weird. But I find all Star Wars that isn't the first three films, it's just all disposable and you can just pick and choose. And if you don't like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't mm. affect the original three films. I think the next film coming out is the Taika Waititi one, I think. And that, I guess, is just that it feels almost that, well, it feels less likely that you'd go and see that than an Obi-Wan Kenobi film. Really. There's so much Star Wars stuff now that I just don't care about mm. it anymore. If you just like put everything that's not the original three into a subsection, then it's fine. I just don't care enough. I love those films, yeah. but I don't care about anything else, really. Right, now, the reason why we're all here, we've, in typical fashion, here. we've got 30 minutes to discuss. I know, which is really uh, This week is the 40th birthday of John Carpenter, the grand high priest of the JCS. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. 40th birthday, I'm older than The Thing, which is, for me... Yeah, no. I remember the thing. He, his first Edinburgh was 1998. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. I remember, I think I bumped into him flyering. <laughs> um, so My mum and dad went to see it, actually, yeah. So it would have done. Yeah, he, he, he did five minutes on Mervyn Stutter <laughs> and uh, <laughs> killed the entire audience. It was disgusting. He assimilated <laughs> all of them. Uh, but sure... <laughs> So the thing, have you rewatched it recently? I watched it last night in preparation. Yeah, because like I've known the 40th birthday's coming up and they're going to re-release it and I think they're going to put it in a 3D and release it into some cinemas. So I know the 40th is coming up and I've been thinking, I haven't seen it yet this year and I've had a real hankering to watch it again. And then it turned out it was the actual birthday on Saturday and I was like, okay, I wasn't going to watch it, but I'm going to watch it tonight. I watched it. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty flawless. The thing I realised, I I've been meaning to watch it, but I keep not being in a hurry to watch it. Like, oh, I can watch it. It's a thing I've seen it loads of times. It seems silly, but I can sort of see it often on my shelf and go, oh, I like the thing. And it's only when I watch it that makes you feel like an idiot. You go, I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's one of those. I always think so that good. it might be a bit hard, like slow going, to get into it again, you know, and just play the hits, you know. But actually, as soon as it starts, you just get into it. If I was going to pick a John Carpenter film for like a nice night in, it would just always be Big Trouble in Little China, which I think is it potentially better. It's, I don't know. I think you get to a point with those films where they're all of such a very high standard that it's like... So, Big Trouble in Little China, I love. I love Kurt Russell in it. I think he's really fun. It's a great performance. He's brilliant. One of the things I like about it is that in Escape from New York, he does a Clint Eastwood impression. Yes. And in Big Trouble in Little China, he does a John Wayne impression. And one of the things I noticed about The Thing when I watched it this time is that all of the characters in the thing are so different from each other. They all look really different from each other, you know? You've got a guy called Windows, and he wears sunglasses, and he's got big, like, curly hair. And then you've got a couple of, like, older guys and Childs, who's, like, really stand out. Um, I think you're right, because that adds to the idea of... It really establishes who those characters are. So when it starts talking about them early on... You know who they mean. Well, kind of, but I think I'm going to say the opposite thing. I think what's interesting about the characters is they're all different, but when they're not on screen, I can't remember who anyone is. Oh, really? And when they're all together and they're all wearing goggles and they all kind of look the same, it's kind of like, yeah, right. And I think what's clever about it is it's like quite a 
documentary feel, right? Where you're distant from the characters. You're like emotionally distant from the characters. There's never a point where someone like saves a cat and you're all like, oh yeah, he's the hero. Even Kurt Russell isn't particularly likable in the film. You don't really feel, aside from their, you see them do their jobs, you see them get on with business as usual, but you don't really get like huge chunks of their personality. And so I find that they're all de defined, but not so defined that they're caricatures. Yeah. And they all blend into each other a bit. And like you can kind of like go, I don't know all of their names. It's one of my favourite films. I don't know what all the characters are called. And I wouldn't be able to tell you whether there's seven of them or nine of them. I think that rather than laziness on my part, I think I've watched it so many times and I'm still vague on the specifics. I was struck by how nihilistic it was last night. I mean, I guess it, I've always known it is. But it's that thing when you watch it and as soon as like they realise what they're up against, in their heart of hearts, they all kind of go, we're not getting out of this. And all of them, I think, have this thing where they go, all right, well, we can kill ourselves, but what they don't want is they don't want to get eaten by a monster. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the battle is. It's almost they're already written off the idea of... We're getting out of this. Well, what I like about it is that they're all very sort of like cold, cool yeah. people. Not, I don't mean cool as in cool, but like cool as in cool. They're all very... They're all realists, total like realists. And of, uh... So, yeah, and I've never noticed how kind of like the tension ratchets up. Like, like halfway through the film when McCready's outside, when Kurt Russell's outside and they're not letting him in. And they're all panicking and they're all like shouting and panicking and like barricading the door. And then they hear a window smash and they're like, oh, he's got in that way. And they're all just like panicking. And you kind of like go, how did it get to this point where they're all shouting and panicking and screaming in a corridor? Because it's so miles away from where they started off for. So I think the film just really like builds the tension really, really well. Now, here's the thing. This is an unpleasant thing that I noticed, right, in this viewing. But here's the thing. Is it that the thing, Alien and Predator, all films in my top 20, if not top 10, three of my favourite films of all time, is it not that they are the same film? But is that just that, that you're getting a monster who's picking people off? But like, so could you say to that, like, they, so is Halloween? No. Okay, so... Well, Alien was written to be all men, or it was written to be androgynous, but really it was for an all-male crew, and then they just cast it with women as well without changing much of the script. Predator is all men. The Thing is all men. They're all visited by an alien from outer space. The alien's blood comes into it as a plot point at one point where <laughs> the blood in Predator, if it bleeds, we can kill it. The acid for blood isn't like a huge plot point in Alien other than the fact that they can't just shoot it and explode it mm -hmm. because they're in a spaceship. And then obviously the blood in the thing is like a huge set piece. And then there's also the fact that they're all on halfway through another mission. So in Predator, they go to get the, the other guys and then they see the remains of the previous mission. In Alien, there's the space jockey, which is the previous mission that's been attacked by the aliens. And then in The Thing, there's the Norwegian crew and there's their the previous mission. And it's only at that point that they realise, hang on a minute, there's something else at play here. And then that's when they go one-on-one -on -one with an isolated alien that's either on Earth or in a spaceship. Yeah, I think you're onto something. 
I think that all makes sense. But I don't think it takes anything away from it. Okay, but it is just saying that I could make room in my top ten if I just decluttered and just had to like. I, you can't have three of the same film in in your in your <laughs> sure top you ten. Yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> right. But they're all based on. Um, I was going to say Enid Blyton. They're all based on Agatha Christie's. And then there were none. And then there were none. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that's the. So that's like the common thing. If we had more time and we hadn't talked about everything else. But that email again is uh, N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T at Gmail. Hang on. N-I-C-K-A-N-D-N-A-T J-C-A-S at gmail.com. There you go. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And you don't get film. Not like, not that it's a huge nostalgia trip. They literally just don't make films like that anymore. You've got an amazing crew behind it. You've got Rob Bottin that's doing the special effects with help from Stan Winston. And I guess Rob Bottin was bigger than Stan Winston at that point. I also think you do get that. Like, as a kid, those transitions were seamless. Yet now when you watch it, when it cuts from real person to special effect, it's so, like, obvious. Well, you are looking for it, aren't you? I, I tell you what, I'm renting this off Amazon, and this is the first time I've been able to see the fucking film. I had a VHS that I had all my life right. that I that I watched until I, I until you know you couldn't watch it anymore. And then I had like a first generation DVD which wasn't clean and although renting it off Amazon it wasn't like 4K or anything like that. It's the first time I'd seen all the dogs in the dog attack. It's the first time I'd seen it like one of the one of the great things about it is you're not entirely sure who the thing is out of all of the characters, but you're also not entirely sure what you've just seen because mm. it's so dark. And then I could see a lot more of it. And I, I just think it's aged so well, some of those, not all of the effects, but some of the effects. As much as I incredible. like a lot of the later John Carpenter films, and I'm thinking specifically of In the Mouth of Madness, but it is interesting to go, it's a shame he wasn't able to continue at that top level of yeah. well, money the, and things. The thing was know. a huge flop. It yeah. was a huge flop, did really badly. And then I think he went on to do Starman after that, which got Oscar nominations, but he had to kind of like change genre. And um, and my other fa- favourite fact about this is that Ennio Morricone did the music and he couldn't believe that John Carpenter wasn't allowed to do the music because John Carpenter had bitten off too much. It was his, he was an indie movie maker and then he was making this film for Universal and Universal said, you haven't got enough time to do the score. So John Carpenter basically hummed the score down the phone to him and um, Ennio Morricone went off and he said, I'm going to make a score the way that John Carpenter would do it. And that's why it sounds like a John Carpenter score. And also, didn't they then use bits of that in The Hateful Eight? Ennio Morricone used bits of the score that didn't get used. Oh, because John Carpenter didn't use all of um, Ennio Morricone's score. And The Hateful Eight is basically a remake of The Thing. Quentin Tarantino was trying to get Ennio Morricone to do an original score, and then he couldn't. So what he used was bits of unused scores. Yeah, great. So if you're going to do a sequel to the thing, what like, what would you do? I was thinking about this because I thought, because there's the remake, which was the prequel. Yeah, but I was like, that is the only way to do it. I was very much of the don't do it. That's the best because it is the sort of the best ending I think of any film. Yeah. I was trying to think, would there be a way I would enjoy it? And I couldn't think of a way that it wouldn't annoy me to do a sequel of it. Yeah. Did you have it at night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be called The Things, like Aliens. 
it would be 40 years after the original. So they'd make it now and you'd get Kurt Russell cameoing in it and you'd get Keith David in it, the two survivors from the first one. And it would be called... OK, so it's called The Things, right? So it starts off with the CGI Wilford Brimley from 1982, and he's, he's the doctor that's in the, in, in the cabin. And why he's in the cabin, and you don't really know what he's up to in the original film, what we see is that he's communicating with the aliens on their alien planet, and he's like going, oh, I'm fucking... I'm freezing out here. Can you come, can you come and save me, right? So he sent that off that, right? And then it goes, like, 40 years later, and the whole planet has been absolutely ravaged, right? by these aliens right the human race has been decimated there's only like a few people here and there that are still there a band of survivors right and they all get together and they're like okay fine what we've learned about the thing is they're all interconnected with each other and we need to go back and we need to find the source of where this started right and so they go on a global expedition where they have to get from one end, where they're surrounded by... The whole planet is just overrun by... It's more thing than planet now, right? All of the members of this team, they're like a ragtag group of people that don't necessarily get on and they're there for work, and they're incredibly diverse. And they go from where their base is, somewhere in America, the survivors have to get all the way across to the source, right? And they've located the source of where all this started is in the Antarctic, right? So they get there, and it's like action, action, action. It's more like Independence Day than the original The Thing, right? We're leaving The Thing alone. But you have the same dynamics of the group as they're going, but they're not confined. They're trying to get from one place to another, right? And when they get there, they wade through all of their shit, and then most of them are dead. And then you've got kind of like your main hero guy, whoever that is, and they go in, and there's sort of like a power force that's in the Antarctica, and then you go, and there's the original set from the the film that's all preserved and frozen, and and you kind of go, you're recognising bits and pieces over here, and it's kind of like it goes into sort of like a Matrix bit where the hero, they go into sort of like this room where it's kind of like the alien has created a bit of the home world on Earth, right? And it's protecting it. And right at the centre of that is McCready, who is patient zero. Tell you what. And then that's when you have a Kurt Russell cameo. And maybe he's got Keith David's head growing out the size of his. What I thought you were going to say was, they get there and they destroy the thing or whatever, they do something which makes them think they've won and at that point they're so far away that the stress signal, you see another big flying saucer coming in. Maybe that's because my girlfriend was saying yesterday that actually if the thing is frozen in the ice at the end of the first film with global warming, the ice melts the water gets infected by the thing which infects all mankind Right, and then there's a ragtag group of survivors, as you were. And then at the ending, once they've like blown everything up and it's all fine, that's when all the flying saucers surround Earth, and then that sets you up for the thing of me jigs, right? <laughs> which is like the third one, right? Yeah, great. Uh, we'll do that. If uh, anyone in Hollywood is listening and you like that idea, get in contact with. Wait, where were they? How can uh, I get in contact with uh, us? It'll be uh, N I C K A N D 
N-A-T-J-C-A-S at gmail.com. If you get in contact with us, and you can buy it off me. But I reckon with a bit of like sweet talking to John Carpenter and pay him enough money, we could get a sequel to The Thing made by the end of the year. Get everyone that's alive back into it, and uh, when The Thing gets blown up at the end, it can do one of them shape-shifting things like the T-1000 does, and like all of the cameos from all of the people from the last film. Brilliant. It's sold. And that is The Things. You heard it here. First, peeps. Right, we can edit that bit out. Right, okay, cool. <laughs> right, we've only got time for one thing, and that is to play Better or Worse. Nathaniel, take over. Better or Worse is the game you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my own opinions, to score points. It's slightly different from how we used to do it. We used to have a guest, yeah. but now it's just me versus Nat, and we've got to see who, versus, who really knows Nathaniel Metcalf <laughs> as well as me. Is it me, or does Nathaniel know himself? more than I know him. Beginning with Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Is Joanna Lumley better or worse than Tilda Swinton? Oh, okay, based on your opinion, I think you would say that Joanna Lumley is worse than Tilda Swinton. Correct. Roger Moore, better or worse than Joanna Lumley? Better. Correct. Demi Moore, better or worse, worse. than Roger Moore? Worse. Ennio Morricone, better or worse than Demi better. Moore? Better. Freddie Mercury, better or worse than... Uh, Ennio Morricone. Worse. Worse. Freddie Starr, better or worse than Freddie Mercury. Worse. Ringo Starr, better or worse than Freddie Starr. Better. Better. Russell Crowe, better or worse than Ringo Starr. Worse. Worse. Kurt Russell, better or worse than Russell Crowe. Better. Kurt Cobain, better or worse than Kurt Russell. Worse. Worse. I've got ten. 10 out of 10. Yeah, fucking try harder next time, I Nat. Well, I will. You bring your fucking A game, right? Because <laughs> it's just... It's j- an easy one to start off jokes with. On, jokes on you, mate. I know you better, <laughs> better than, than you, you know, know yourself. You s- yourself. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening. That's all we've got time for this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about more John Carpenter stuff, I guess. Yeah. Elvis, Elvis is out. So we can watch Kurt Russell, John Carpenter TV movie, Elvis. And I will, you've already seen Elvis, haven't you? I'll watch Elvis and then we'll talk about Elvis next week. Send your fan mail in. But until then, Nathaniel, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you. Later, losers. (laughs)